Long History, Sir Walter Raleigh and Virginia, Part 8, The Confederacy and the Resolution. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Long History, and in this series we're looking at documents relating to Sir Walter Raleigh and Virginia. We're looking at seven documents in total, all first-person accounts of what happened during these times, which involved the earliest English attempts to settle the Virginia area. And although Sir Walter Raleigh's name is attached to these events, he didn't actually go to Virginia, he was just the sponsor of these journeys and these attempts to create a settlement. This is an 18-part series, so please subscribe to be informed of when the remaining episodes are released. And in the previous episode we started a new document, and this particular document describes around a year in the life of this settlement that was set up in Virginia. It's a document that was written to Sir Walter Raleigh, and so really you have to bear in mind this audience. Sir Walter Raleigh wants to hear about the riches of the area. If there have been failures, he'll want to know what went wrong and why and who was to blame. And the writer of this document will also try to give his excuses. So when we see it in that light, this slightly strange narrative that frankly is a bit all over the place, begins to make more sense. In the previous episode, for example, the narrator heard about a land ruled by a king who had a seemingly infinite source of pearls. And the narrator, at the beginning of this episode, tells Sir Walter Raleigh about the plans to find these pearls, this land of pearls. But then he describes an actual voyage, which seems to be unrelated when you read between the lines, but somehow this narrative tries to conflate the two, perhaps, and during this actual voyage, the English begin to suspect that the local people are trying to starve them. And the resolution of the English, in turn, is to continue with their explorations rather than turning back. This is Sir Walter Raleigh in Virginia, Part 8, The Confederacy and the Resolution. Hereupon I resolved with myself that if your supply had come before the end of April, and that you had sent any store of boats or men, to have had them made in any reasonable time with a sufficient number of men and victuals to have found us until the new coin were come in, I would have sent a small bark with two pinnaces about by sea to the northward to have found out the bay he spake of, and to have sounded the bar if there were any, which should have ridden there in the said bay about that island while I, with all the small boats I could make, and with two hundred men, would have gone up to the head of the river of Chawanook with the guides that Menatonon would have given me, which I would have been assured should have been of his best men, for I had his best beloved son prisoner with me, who also should have kept me company in an handlock with the rest, foot by foot, all the voyage over land. My meaning was further at the head of the river, in the place of my descent, where I would have left my boats, to have raised a sconce with a small trench, and a palisade upon the top of it, in the which, and in the guard of my boats, I would have left five and twenty or thirty men. With the rest I would have marched with as much victual as every man could have carried, with their furniture, mattocks, spades and axes, two days' journey. In the end of my march, upon some convenient plot, would I have raised another sconce, according to the former, where I would have left fifteen or twenty, 
and if it would have fallen out conveniently, in the way I would have raised my said sconce upon some cornfield that my company might have lived upon it. And so I would have holden this course for every two days' march, until I had been arrived at the bay port he spake of, which, finding to be worth the possession, I would there have raised a main fort, both for the defence of the harbour and our shipping also, and would have reduced our whole habitation from Roanoke and from the harbour and port there, which by proof is very naught, unto this other before mentioned, from whence, in the four days' march before specified, could I at all times return with my company back unto my boat riding under my sconce, very near whereunto, directly from the west, runneth a most notable river, and in all those parts most famous, called the River of Moratok. The river openeth into the broad sound of Weepomioc, and whereas the river of Chawanook and all the other sounds and bays, salt and fresh, show no current in the world in calm weather, but are moved altogether with the wind. This river of Moratok hath so violent a current from the west and southwest that it made me almost of opinion that with oars it would scarce be navigable. It passeth with many creeks and turnings, and for the space of thirty miles rowing and more, it is as broad as the Thames, betwixt Greenwich and the Isle of Dogs, in some places more, and in some less. The current runneth as strong, being entered so high into the river, as a London bridge upon a vale water. And for that, not only Menatonon, but also the savages of Moratok themselves do report strange things at the head of that river. It is thirty days, as some of them say, and some say forty days' voyage to the head thereof, which head they say springeth out of a main rock in that abundance, that forthwith it maketh a most violent stream. And further, that this huge rock standeth so near unto a sea, that many times in storms, the wind coming outwardly from the sea, the waves thereof are beaten into the said fresh stream, so that the fresh water for a certain space groweth salt and brackish. I took a resolution with myself, having dismissed Minatonon upon a ransom agreed for, and sent his son into the pinnace to Roanoke to enter presently so far into that river with two double worries and forty persons one or other, as I could have victual to carry us, until we could meet with more either of the Mororocks or of the Mangoaks, which is another kind of savages dwelling more to the westward of the said river. But the hope of recovering more victual from the savages made me and my company as narrowly to escape starving in that discovery before our return, as ever mended that missed the same. For Pemisapan, who had changed his name of Wingina upon the death of his brother Granganimo, had given both the Choanists and Mangoaks word of my purpose toward them. I, having been enforced to make him privy to the same, to be served by him of a guide to the Mangoaks. And yet, 
he did never rest to solicit continually my going upon them, certifying me of a general assembly, even at that time, made by Menatonon at Chawanook, of all his werowances and allies to the number of three thousand bows, preparing to come upon us at Roanoke, and that the Mangogues also were joined in the same confederacy, who were able, of themselves, to bring as many more to the enterprise. And true it was that at that time the assembly was holden at Chawanook about us, as I found at my coming thither, which, being unlooked for, did dismay them, as it made us have the better hand at them. But this confederacy against us of the Chowanists and Mangoks was altogether and wholly procured by Pemisapan himself, as Menatonon confessed unto me, who sent them continual word that our purpose was fully bent to destroy them. On the other side he told me that they had the like meaning towards us. He, in like sort, having sent word to the Mangokes of mine intention to pass up their river, and to kill them, as he said, both they and the Moritoks, with whom before we were entered into a league, and they had ever dealt kindly with us, abandoned their towns along the river, and retired themselves with their Krenepos and their corn within the main. Insomuch as having passed three days' voyage up the river, we could not meet a man, nor find a grain of corn in any of their towns. Whereupon, considering with myself that we had but two days' victual left, and that we were then 160 miles from home, besides casualty of contrary winds or storms, and suspecting treason of our own savages in the discovery of our voyage intended, though we had no intention to be hurtful to any of them, otherwise than for our copper to have come of them. I, at night upon the corps of guard, before the putting forth of sentinels, advertised the whole company of the case we stood in for victual, and of mine opinion that we were betrayed by our own savages, and of purpose drawn forth by them upon vain hope to be in the end starved, seeing all the country fled before us, and therefore, while we had those two days' victual left, I thought it good for us to make our return homeward, and that it were necessary for us to get to the other side of the sound of Weopomioc in time, where we might be relieved upon the wares of Chippenham and the woman's town, although the people were fled. Thus much I signified unto them as the safest way. Nevertheless, I did refer it to the greatest number of voices, whether we should adventure the spending of our whole victual in some further view of that most goodly river in hope to meet with some better hap, or otherwise to retire ourselves back again. And for that they might be the better advised, I willed them to deliberate all night upon the matter, and in the morning, at our going aboard, to set our course according to the desires of the greatest part. Their resolution fully and wholly was, and not three found to be of the contrary opinion, that whilst there was left but one half pint of corn for a man, we should not leave the search of that river, and that, 
there were in the company two mastiffs upon the pottage of which, with sassafras leaves if the worst fell out, the company would make shift to live two days, which time would bring them down the current to the mouth of the river and to the entry of the sound, and in two days more at the farthest they hoped to cross the sound and to be relieved by the wares which two days they would fast rather than be drawn back afoot till they had seen the mangoaks either as friends or foes. This resolution of theirs did not a little please me, since it came of themselves, although for mistrust of that which afterwards did happen I pretended to have been rather of the contrary opinion. And that which made me most desirous to have some doings with the mangoaks, either in friendship or otherwise, to have had one or two of them prisoners was, for that it is a thing most notorious to all the country, that there is a province to which the said mangoaks have recourse and traffic up that river of Moritok, which hath a marvellous and most strange mineral. So looking back at the introduction, where we said that this was addressed to Sir Walter Raleigh directly, and can see how this document attempted to explain what they did and didn't do in Roanoke, it is interesting that this narrative is rather confusing. Don't think it's just you, I think this is a deliberate thing. At first the writer describes the plans to find this place of pearls, saying what they would have done, and so this describes the plan, but then the document having explained one voyage they would like to have done to find these pearls, they then describe another voyage that they did do, and I'm not sure if that conflation of the theoretical journey and the real journey is not deliberate somehow, but it's hard to know. And it is slightly confusing with the various groups involved, but they get to the point where they're starving, and at this moment they begin to wonder whether the local people they're travelling with are in fact deceiving them and taking them to a place that is so remote, lacking food, lacking people, that they will just die of starvation. The Englishmen get together and see there's enough for them to return back to base, but they have a meeting and say that they want to continue travelling forward in the hope that they find these people the mangoaks and either make friends or enemies of them. One curious phrase is where they say, their resolution fully and wholly was that whilst there was left but one pint of corn for a man, we should not leave the search of that river, and that there were in the company two mastiffs, upon the pottage of which, with sassafras leaves, the company would make shift to live two days. And this phrase in itself does kind of exemplify the rather convoluted narrative here, because if I've understood correctly, what they're basically saying is that yes, they are running out of food, but if they do run out of food, they've still got two dogs they can eat. This episode ends with the Mangoak people being mentioned, and the English want to trade with them because they've heard that they have a strange mineral that they can trade. And the next episode will discuss this mineral and will see further evidence of how the writer of this document is trying to find riches in the area. So I hope I've made some sense of that. It is possible that this text is deliberately confusing, and it can be worth repeated listens actually if you want to get to know the names and become familiar with the different peoples involved here. This is history from the source, and unfortunately the sources sometimes aren't very straightforward. Either way, I hope you've enjoyed that. It certainly gives a flavour of the time and the language used, and amidst the muddy language there is a sort of a story unfolding there. This was Sir Walter Raleigh and Virginia, Part 8, The Confederacy and the Resolution. Goodbye.